Okay, let us uh, seek God's blessing upon our time of uh, study this evening. So let's stand and pray. Our glorious God and Father, we we do approach Thee uh, with joy and delight, uh, for Thou art a, a merciful, a loving, and a gracious God. And we approach Thee with fear and reverence, for Thou art a, a holy and a righteous God, to be taken seriously. And we thank Thee for the treasure of Thy Word, uh, Thy love letter to us. Uh, thank Thee for our glorious Savior, about whom uh, the, uh, this love letter is all about. His love for us, guilty sinners chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began. We ask our Lord that uh, thou would instruct and teach us in thy word, give to us uh, uh, earnest uh, affection and desires, Lord, to learn of thee and to walk in thy ways. Bless this time, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us turn to John chapter 9. John 9, 1 through 5. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In the last study, in John 9, verses 1 through 3, we began considering the Lord's healing of a man who was born blind. The disciples uh, asked the Lord Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? The man himself or his parents? Their question assumes some understanding on their part that the miseries of this life and death itself have their origin in God's righteous judgment upon mankind for Adam's sin. Adam as the head and the father of mankind in the covenant of works made between God and Adam, Adam fell and it affected all of his posterity by way of sin and corruption, by way of, of uh, death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, and by way of all the miseries. Everything that's wrong with this world, everything we see that is, goes wrong with this world, flows from the fall of mankind. 
And though in a general sense one can say that the blind man in John 9.1 was afflicted due to Adam's fall into sin and God's universal judgment that fell upon mankind. Nevertheless, the disciples here seem to be asking their question in a more personal and direct sense concerning the relationship of this man's blindness and some personal sin committed by either his parents or by him. They are probably thinking along the lines of Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 5, uh, where you'll recall in the second commandment, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now this is only true that the iniquity and sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. This is only true when the children also hate the Lord as did their parents. However, it goes on to say in verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And so the mercy of God is shown to the children even of parents who hated the Lord. When the children turn to the Lord, when the children serve the Lord, they do not incur the sins of their, their parents, do not judge for the sins of their parents. God's mercy falls upon them. And so God judicially judges those, in, in other words, God judicially judges those who repeat the same sins of their parents. That's what is being said in, in the second commandment. However, he is merciful to thousands of generations, those that love him and keep his commandments, who turn away from the sins of their parents. God makes clear uh, in other places in the Old Testament that there is no direct and immediate judgment or curse that befalls children for the sins of their parents or befalls parents for the sins of their children. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verse 16, we read in the Law of Moses, <clears throat> the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin, for his own sin. Likewise, in Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 4, 
2 Chronicles 25.4. This is speaking of King Amaziah, who is the son of Joash. And the servants of Joash had uh, slain the king, Joash. And Amaziah, when he became king, brought judgment against those servants of Joash that had killed the king, his father. But it, it notes here that he did not carry out judgment against the children of those servants that slew the king. In verse 4 it says, But he slew not their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, the fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. And then in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, which I think we did read last study, but let me again read this for you just to complete the thought, Ezekiel 18:20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Thus, now back to John chapter 9, thus Jesus states that this blindness was not directly nor immediately due to the personal sin of the parents. That the son was suffering for some sin the parents had committed, but he even goes beyond that in this instance and says uh, that this man is not even uh, suffering uh, blindness from birth due to his own sin. Now that's not to say, as we noted last study, there are occasions in the Bible in which obviously people do suffer for their own sins. And uh, uh, many times even nations suffer for their own sins, national sins, and judgment comes upon them. And God brought judgment for on individuals due to their own personal sins. So God, uh, the Lord's not denying here in John 9 that truth that we do suffer uh, and God's judgment does come upon those who sin upon, uh, sin against him, even in this life, let alone uh, those who wickedly and without repentance and without faith in Christ uh, sin against the Lord and never repent of, of that sin. And uh, so, uh, that is certainly true as well. But here, in this case, Jesus says this man did not sin and therefore uh, no, he's not suffering for some personal sin that he committed, his blindness. However, Jesus does say <clears throat> uh, in John 9, 3, there was a divine purpose as to why he was born blind. 
it says that the works, Jesus says that the works of God should be made manifest in him, in John 9, 3. In other words, he was born blind in order that God's mercy, God's love, God's power might be demonstrated at that precise time in history when this man was healed. He was born blind for that particular purpose. Now, natural man uh, may rebel against that divine purpose, that this man lived all of that period of time in blindness for that particular specific time when he was healed, that he was born blind and lived that entire time prior just for this event that he might be made to see according to God's divine purpose. Natural man isn't going to, to see uh, the power, the wisdom, the beauty, the, uh, the, the goodness, uh, the righteousness in that at all. I don't expect blind men, uh, spiritually blind men, to be able to see that. But that is ultimately the purpose. That's ultimately the purpose. Not only in this case, that is ultimately the purpose for all the miseries, all the injustices, all of the tyranny, all of the violence, all of the hatred in this world, that God might manifest his glory, his mercy, his justice, his power, his truth in a world that is devastated by the wickedness of man. Man is yet responsible. Man is yet responsible for the sin that is committed. But God has purposed to use it to glorify his justice in judging sin or to glorify his grace in rescuing undeserving sinners from eternal judgment through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want you to consider some verses that I think very clearly make the point that Jesus makes here that this man was born blind um, for the glory of God to be manifested. The very worst injustice uh, that has ever been committed in this world, the very worst and most heinous injustice and wickedness that has ever been committed was in putting to death the sinless Son of God. There, was, there, there is no wickedness by way of aggravation of sin greater than that wickedness. No matter what you want to uh, come up with, uh, you know, by way of uh, any wickedness committed against a child, uh, abortion, whatever you want to put forward, there's nothing that, that measures the wickedness of putting to death the sinless Son of God. Because all of us are sinful. Even a child is sinful. And so because we're sinful, we all, in one sense, deserve God's judgment and wrath. 
but he did not deserve. The Son of God did not deserve it. And so, that being the case, in Acts 2.22 through 24, notice what Peter says in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now notice, him, that is Jesus, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You slew him with your wicked hands, and yet this was predetermined. Everything associated with Christ's death was predetermined by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was all determined to occur. Even their wicked hands, they're responsible, and yet God is saying this was to manifest his glory. The greatest sin that has ever been committed brought about the greatest mercy, the greatest demonstration of God's love, the greatest act of power in the forgiveness of all sin on, on the part of his elect, forgiving all their sin who deserve his condemnation. And so we can look at that and say that if God took the greatest sin, the greatest evil, the greatest wickedness, and those who committed it were responsible for their sin, and yet God took that and used that in such a way, and even determined that it should occur, and used it in such a way to bring about the greatest good, then he can take Likewise, he can glorify himself. And those that were, again, committed this, they were judged, unless they repented. They, they were judged for their sin and their wickedness. And we can take anything else, and that becomes, in effect, uh, we don't have to fall back and say, well, the reason that all the wicked things happen in the world is merely or only because God's given man free will uh, to, to uh, either obey him or not to obey him. Certainly, uh, man chooses to disobey God. That's, that's indisputable. Man chooses to obey uh, or uh, to disobey God. Uh, but, and man's responsible for his sin. But, has God, the, other, the, the, the point that Jesus was making, this was done in order to glorify God. Do we also recognize that part of the equation? That this is, again, uh, uh, 
whatever the, the misery, no, no matter what the evil that is done, that there is something always about that by way of God's judgment or God's mercy, God is going to be glorified. God is going to be glorified through that. And so if we do not include that part of it, and simply man, you know, man's totally responsible, but God has nothing to do with it at all. If we simply leave it in that way, we are leaving everything in confusion. What's the purpose? What's the design? Does, is there any hope? Because if God's not in control and if God's not sovereign, we have no reason to believe that all of this evil and all of this wickedness, that there's a plan and the purpose that God has ordained and he's going to bring about uh, his own purposes, wise purposes and plan to glorify himself through it all. Now we may not see <clears throat> and understand with our puny little minds how something like rape or uh, child molestation or you know whatever it may be, we may not understand how all of those kinds of uh, evils can bring glory to God. And I don't pretend to be able to to explain to the satisfaction of somebody who's gone through all of that um, how all of that brings glory to God in their particular instance. But I can say by way of God's word that it will. It will bring glory to God. I, I, cannot, I may not be able to to bring immediate comfort and encouragement to a person who's experienced that. But I would rather be able to say it will bring glory to God than to say there's no reason or no purpose for what you just experienced. I'd rather give somebody hope because that's what God says. I'd rather give somebody hope that there's a reason and a purpose than to leave them hopeless. That there's, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, uh, there's no uh, purpose that God has intended. So we either have basically a chaotic world in which man's will is sovereign, or we have a world in which God is sovereign and he's even using all of the wickedness that occurs for his own holy purposes glorify himself by way again of his of his justice because all the wickedness of man that's not forgiven and that's not repented of will receive God's justice it will and yet he's taking even those many times who have committed these evil and wicked and dastardly deeds and he's rescuing them like, the, uh, like uh, Saul of Tarsus who is murdering and, and consenting to the murder of Christians. And he rescued and saved him. And he says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the chief of sinners. And he, he said, 
the Lord saved me as an example to you all that if he can save me, he can save you as well. And so, again, to, to show his justice or to show his mercy, he's going to glorify himself. I want to, I want to also just uh, uh, look at um, one other passage that says the same thing in Acts, just two chapters concerning the death of Christ and uh, the events associated with it, Acts 4, 27 and 28. <clears throat> this is after the, the apostles had been uh, beaten, scourged, because they were uh, teaching uh, concerning Christ. They had told, been told, don't teach in the name of Christ, um, and um, uh, they could not obey that command. It was an unlawful command that was issued. And uh, they were teaching and were brought in uh, to the Sanhedrin. And, and so uh, they were uh, then released and sent back to uh, their homes. And uh, when they came together, uh, they prayed together. Um, the apostles did. And we see this is the substance of their prayer in Acts 4. And I'm kind of cutting into the prayer. But verses 27 and 28 say, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, notice, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So all of the wickedness, the plotting, the planning uh, to destroy Jesus, to crucify Jesus, um, they did whatsoever God's hand and counsel determined before to be done. His predetermined counsel. God's predetermined counsel to be done. So, again, um, if God can glorify himself uh, through the death and all of the wickedness that happened with regard to Jesus Christ, uh, he will glorify himself in all things that are of a lesser degree than that which is of the greatest degree. If the greatest he glorifies himself in and through, then the lesser he glorifies himself in and through. And all that we experience by way of sin, injustice, tyranny, violence is of a lesser nature than what was done to Jesus Christ. Rather than seeking, as I said, to remove God entirely from our explanation of the miseries of this life and turning the focus entirely to man's free will, let us give a sound biblical explanation. Okay, let us be honest, faithful, and true. Let us give a a sound biblical ex explanation that yes, sin, death, and miseries of this life 
came into the world because man chose to rebel against God's good command and covenant. But also that yes, God could have prevented man's fall had he chosen to do so. He could have restrained Adam from sinning and Eve from yielding to temptation. He could have restrained them just as he did Abimelech, King Abimelech and Genesis 26, where God says that the reason he did not sin uh, with Sarah, Abraham's wife, is because God says to Abimelech, it's because I restrained you from committing sin with her. So if God restrained Abimelech from committing sin with Sarah, he restrains sin all the time in the world. Otherwise, the world would be um, a living hell. Uh, every neighbor would be seeking to murder and to break all of the commandments against one's neighbor, violating uh, one's neighbor. It would be, again, hell on earth, uh, literally hell, hell on earth, if God did not restrain, and he, as he did Abimelech. He could have done the same with Adam and Eve. So, if he could have restrained Adam and Eve from sinning, there must have been a purpose on the part of God in permitting the sin of Adam and Eve. There was a divine purpose. He wanted to manifest his justice, his glorify himself in manifesting his justice in judging sin, but also he wanted to glorify himself in sending a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to show his great love, to manifest his mercy, his grace to undeserving sinners, chosen in Jesus Christ before the world began. <clears throat> God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign. It is his counsel that stands, not man's counsel that stands. In Proverbs 19, uh, verse 21, this is made clear. Where we read, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand, the purpose of God. Man has many plans. Man has many devices. But it's God's counsel. God rules and overrules. God permits and God restrains. But it's God that is sovereign. And man is responsible for his sin that he commits. God doesn't force man to sin. God may restrain man from sinning, but God doesn't force man to sin. Man sins because he wants to sin. That's the nature of the fall. And so as I said, and I'm... I'm Repeating, but I want to again bring this to this this review 
that's lasted nearly the entire Bible study, but I, I think it's, it's, it's worth, again, repeating because it's so important uh, of a truth that, uh, sadly, uh, many uh, who are well-intentioned uh, ministers, Christian apologists uh, that we may have heard or listened to, merely when uh, covering why is there evil in the world, uh, the question, merely cover and merely say, well, it's due to man's sin, man, that God uh, gave a free will to man, again, Adam did have, again, the ability to sin or the ability not to sin. Um, uh, and, but it's only, the only response given is that, so as to, again, as if to include God would, would be uh, to, um, to bring God into that whole discussion with regard to why is there evil in the world would in some way taint God uh, with uh, evil, with wickedness, uh, or of some, something of that nature. And I think that we, we need not be ashamed or embarrassed uh, about the fact that God is a sovereign God. Um, and that's why we need not only to say, yes, man chose to sin, but that God is a righteous judge, and what we see by way of the miseries of this world, God brought into the world because man sinned. God is a God is sovereign. I'd rather, again, God be sovereign where there is hope, because there is a wise, just, merciful purpose and plan for all that happens in this world, and we're promised a victory, a victory at the end of all of this because God is sovereign. Even if we can't figure it all out right now, that's where I want to be, is trusting in a sovereign God rather than man's will being sovereign, where there is no hope, where only several billion wills, independent wills, competing one with another against one another, determine what happens with no unified purpose and no victory promised to those who trust in the Lord. There is hope if God is sovereign, but there's no hope if man is sovereign and man's will is sovereign. So, with the remaining few minutes we have, let's uh, look at verse 4, back to John 9, verse 4. <clears throat> Jesus continues and says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Here the Lord uh, declares, I must do uh, the works of him that sent me. Underlining the word must. Uh, 
That's to say it is necessary that I do the works of him who sent me. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. I have to do. It is necessary that I do the works of my father. And one of the works that my father, this is again implied in what Jesus says, and one of the works that my father has appointed for me to do is the healing of this man on this particular occasion that was born blind. This man was born blind in order that Jesus might heal him on that very day, that very hour, planned from all eternity for that particular time. And we can apply the same thing about everything in our life. This was appointed to be done on that day. It was not a chance meeting. It was planned. Part of God's divine plan from all eternity. Jesus goes on to say that he must do this work while it is day, uh, as opposed to night. While it is day, that is, while he was actively working. The daytime refers to Christ's earthly ministry among the people at that time in teaching and performing miracles. It was, in effect, the daytime of uh, sunlight in which he was fully revealing himself and his divine glory bodily to those there. That's why John says in John chapter 1, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. However, when he ascended and was seated at the right hand of God, the Father, there would fall upon the earth a night in which he would not any longer be visibly, bodily seen there upon the earth during his earthly ministry. So the nighttime is when he's no longer here bodily. The daytime is when he is here bodily. That's the difference when he says, uh, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. <clears throat> it was especially true at that time that no man can work during the night. I mean, the analogy is very apropos uh, because uh, it didn't have electricity. So when night fell, you know, work stopped, uh, basically. You didn't have uh, electricity for lights, you didn't have batteries, you didn't have those types of things. And so naturally, the people would understand the difference between, you know, working during the daytime and not being able to work during the, uh, the nighttime. And so Jesus is, is saying, I visibly bodily am working now during the daytime, but there's going to come a time when I will not be working visibly and bodily uh, by way of, of my earthly ministry. So he's preparing them for the fact that he's, he's not going to always be there physically and bodily. Now Jesus was not, in saying that, he was not denying that after his ascension into heaven, um, there would not be 
uh, light brought to the world through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit on behalf of Jesus. So he wasn't denying that. He was simply talking about his bodily ministry. The Holy Spirit would indeed be sent uh, by Jesus, and there would be, again, by way of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as even now, uh, many who throughout history have been brought to Christ, brought out of darkness, brought in, into the marvelous light to see and behold the gospel. Verse 5, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Just as the, the sun gives physical light and life as a result of that light, gives both physical light and life to the earth and to its inhabitants who directly benefit from the light of the sun. So Jesus gives spiritual light and life to the world. Jesus has come to give spiritual light to a world that is in the darkness of sin. A far worse darkness, in fact, than the, man, the darkness in which the man lived who was born blind. Far more devastating kind of darkness, spiritual darkness, uh, in which man cannot see and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the fact that one is a sinner and one cannot save oneself, one cannot be saved by keeping the law of God. One must fall upon the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ, must believe and trust in Jesus for one's justification and being declared righteous before God just as Jesus was not the physical healer of all men's physical blindness, there were many, no doubt. There were many who were healed, perhaps of physical blindness, but Jesus didn't heal the physical blindness of every person who was blind in the whole world at that time. So just as Jesus was not the physical healer of all men's physical blindness so he was not the spiritual healer of all men's spiritual blindness he did not heal the, the spiritual blindness of every single individual upon the planet at that time he was only the spiritual healer and was only the spiritual light and healer of the world of God's elect. Not of every single individual. He only gave sight spiritually to those whom he had chosen from all eternity. So when it says, when Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, the word world there is used in two different senses. Uh, uh, as long as I am in this world 
by way of uh, the cosmos, by way of this planet uh, in the world in that sense. I am the light of the world. I bring light to the world. I give sight to the world, to the world of his elect, because you'll remember from our discussion in past studies, the world can be the world without exception or the world without distinction. The world meaning without exception, every single person on the world, that he is the light of every single person uh, uh, without exception, or he is the light to those without distinction, without distinction as to um, age, he's the light to those uh, that he chooses to be a light to and opening their eyes, whether they are young or old, um, without distinction of sex, male and female, without distinction of social status, you know, rich or poor, rulers uh, in the world or subjects uh, in the world, um, national without distinction of nationality, Gentile or Jew. Uh, and so again, when he says, I am the light of the world, uh, that's not saying he merely provides light. It says, I am the light of those who see the light. If anybody is able to see by way uh, of see with faith, if anyone is able to see with faith Jesus Christ and the gospel, it's because he who is the light of the world has given them light. The reason that people remain in darkness is because, because Jesus has not become their light. They remain in darkness because he is not a light to them but he is a light to those who receive him by faith. But the question is, do they see in order to believe or do they believe in order to see? Does God, does Jesus give sight so that men believe in him or do men believe in him so that they can see which is the cause and which is the effect. The cause is that Jesus gives sight. The effect is that man believes. Man cannot believe if God, if Christ does not give sight. And he is therefore the light of the world in the sense of the world of God's elect because only to them does he give sight to see and to believe. When we, when we reject the truth which the Lord sets before us, even as Christians, we don't, again, um, there never will be a time for those who are truly Christians, those who are regenerate, 
There will never be a time in which they revert to total darkness. Uh, that's impossible, I believe. Um, once, we, uh, once we see, uh, we will always see the truth and see the Lord Jesus and the gospel, and it will be a seeing with faith. But I think we do need to acknowledge uh, that even as Christians, when we reject the truth that is presented to us, that there is a blindness by way of chastening that comes upon us where, where, uh, wherein we do not understand, uh, therefore um, do not understand, do not see, do not make connections with regard to the truth that the Lord gives to us. Uh, there are holes uh, uh, that, and blind spots, blind spots in our thinking, in our, in, in our doctrine, uh, in our worship, in, in the commandments of God. And so there, that's, that's the, again, the result, I believe, of, uh, that happens to us when we reject the truth. When we receive the truth and we walk in the truth, we walk in the light as he's in the light and we have fellowship one with another and we have fellowship, uh, that most blessed fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And so again, I think we need to realize that, uh, and understand that uh, it is a special uh, privilege uh, that when we see and understand the truth, that that it is, again, something not to be taken for granted. It is um, the work of the Lord that has been worked upon our eyes to be able to see, and that if we want to continue to behold the truth, then we must walk in the light. If we want to be able to grow in the truth, if we want to, uh, to see our knowledge of God and of his uh, power, his grace, and communion with him uh, grow, then uh, we can't be indifferent with regard to the light of his truth, the light of his righteousness. We must seek by God's grace to walk in it and uh, realize if we don't, there will be a chastening uh, by way of uh, blindness in some way blind spots in some way that will hinder us uh, from knowing uh, as well as we might otherwise know the truth and make those connections and, uh, uh, of the truth and in righteousness. And so in closing, dear ones, it's not, a, it's not the right political party that our nation needs or some uh, man-made constitution that is going to bring reformation to this nation. Our nation is blind. That's the problem. Our nation is blind, and our nation is in spiritual darkness, and will walk off of a cliff into destruction without the light of Jesus Christ. Our wayward, 
unbelieving children by way of application, our wayward unbelieving children don't need therapy for their various problems ultimately but truly need their blind eyes opened by Jesus Christ who will then direct them to the narrow path that they can't see right now that they can't see by way of faith that they can't see by way of love they can't see by way of delight in walking that narrow path but if the Lord shines upon them and gives them that light and opens their eyes they will see with faith and love and obedience that path that path, that narrow path that leads to eternal, life eternal in heaven the only hope of the world this dark world is the light of the world Jesus Christ. Please stand with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, indeed thou art the light of the world. We thank thee and praise thee and that thou hast shined into our dark lives for we also we're filled with darkness. We walked in darkness to our own destruction. But uh, that glorious light did shine uh, upon us, a light uh, that gave us sight and granted to us faith to receive to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in the gospel, to see ourselves as sinners that, that deserve thy judgment. Our God, we praise thee and thank thee for thy marvelous light. May we, Lord, uh, not avoid it. May we not, as that light shines upon and into our lives and reveals to us our sin. May we, Lord, not run from the light, but run to the light. That we might turn from all of our errors and turn from our wicked ways. Uh, that we might, uh, again, walk in the light as thou art in the light and have fellowship and communion with thee, Lord, to the fullest. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.